Wizard of Whiskey presents Swig and Ramble, a podcast for the modern age. Come for the whiskey, stay for the shit show. Introducing Justin Curry at Wizard of Whiskey, Julia Men at The Wee Tipple, and Mindy Schwartz at Whiskey Editor. And now, pour yourself a drink and enjoy the show. I know I will. Welcome back, Ramblers. This is Julia Men from the Wee Tipple, and with me, as always, our cohorts Justin from Bedfluence and Mindy at the Whiskey Editor. Also with us today is Todd Godbout, and today is a very, very special episode, because joining us is Dane Stark, owner and winemaker of Page Mill Winery in Livermore, California. Page Mill is practicing organic, and Dane has done some incredibly fun, innovative, creative ideas uh, that he'll be sharing with us as he takes us on a journey around the winery. Our apologies if audio on this episode is a little inconsistent. We are on site at the winery and you know we're going in and out. He's taking us on a full tour, sharing just his story, how Page Mill came to be, and we're gonna be tasting some great wines. But before we jump into that, uh, what sours our mash today, kids? I mean, I know we've had a, a pretty good day so far, but I'm sure there's something that's pissed us off. <laughs> So, Mindy, oh, I, I got this. I got this. Um, what sour is my mash? Um, I'm tired of waking up at 6 a.m. and filling mini bottles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, jumping on that, uh, I am tired of sleeping on a prison-style bed. Oh, yeah. No, agreed. It, it, agreed. It's painful, and it's really creepy. If you haven't caught on, guys, we got the Airbnb from hell. Yeah. The worst one I've ever stayed in. So, Justin, you should listen to Mindy and I next time. I You... What sours <laughs> my mash is when people have months to help me plan things, and I post dozens of Airbnb links. No, and this we, is agreed. Oh, we, we, we agreed on a very nice one. Yeah. We picked a nice one. You we said did. no. Yeah, you said no. I don't recall that. Oh, well, of course. It's in the group chat. I will yeah. screenshot it. Please screenshot that, because I'm 100% sure this is the one we collectively decided no, on because no, of the location and the whiskey no. thing we were going to do. Anyway, um, but anyway, Dane, Dane. welcome. <laughs> so happy to have you here. <laughs> you feel the heat? Nice to be here. I am. What sours your mash? Uh, I got to say, the thing that sours my mash is mean people. Uh, mean people sure. suck, and uh, you, you run into them once in a while, and, and I just can't stand them. So yeah, yeah. working in the hospitality industry. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. working in the oh, retail. Yeah. Retail. Yeah. yeah, I'll drink to that. And yeah. actually, Heck yes. what are we drinking? Uh, so Cheers. in your glass <laughs> is a Pinot Noir. Um, it is a San Francisco Bay Appalachian. Um, the grapes come from a little tiny vineyard that is just north of the Livermore Valley Appalachian. It's on the backside of the Berkeley Hills. It's an organic vineyard, um, and it's meticulous. Um, and this is... Ooh, one of there's like a little bit of a pomegranate balsamic note going on. Mm-hmm. Like that, ooh. Mm-hmm. The nose on this is very elegant. It's a fantastic, uh, fantastic vineyard. A really small production. We do 200 cases of this year. And I bet those sell out fast because this is mm-hmm. freaking delicious. This is, wow. This is real good. What's the Thank you. what's the the percentage? Is one hundred percent Pinot Noir? It's one hundred percent Pinot. Um, it's got three uh, three clones in it. They're six six seven Pomard and um, and seven seven seven, I believe. Nice. Um, so uh, burgundy clones. Yeah, I mean, it really is a spectacular vineyard um, and hand tended. 
Um, and we do the we do a small amount of the production for the vineyard owner. He just wants to, to have you know his own wine, and then we get the rest of the grapes. Um, so, so it's a lovely representation of, of what Pinot can be in the, in the Bay Area. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Well, we have some wine in our glass. I think we should probably take a little tour and hear more about Page Mill. Okay. So Page Mill started in 1976. We were in the Santa Cruz Mountains. Uh, over on the peninsula. Um, my dad grew up in Palo Alto um, and was selling lasers around the world and decided to uh, he wanted to start a home-based business and so um, so he of course my mom, my mom said yeah whatever and uh, and he rented a little bobcat tractor and dug a hole into the house uh, literally he 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 Dug a ramp off the driveway. Uh, so here you go. This is our Sauvignon Blanc. Um, dug a ramp off the driveway and uh, knocked a hole in the foundation and started digging. Dug, dug for 28 days um, and uh, started a winery. He, he planted a couple acre of grapes, lost it immediately to deer and birds and, and gophers, and said, okay, this is really hard. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy grapes. He bought from um, Santa Barbara, Napa, um, Healdsburg, all over the Santa Cruz Mountains, and uh, and that was the business uh, over there on the peninsula. So that was uh, the mo the business model, and he was he grew to about eighteen hundred cases. Um, and we would during harvest we would we would drive down to Santa Barbara and pick up you know four tons of grapes, bring them back to the winery. So. Um, in 2004, now fast forward to 2004, I've been running the winery um, since, since 89, um, and my wife and I are planning for a future, and um, the property value in Los Altos Hills, if you're not aware, it's Palo Alto's priciest zip code in the country. So uh, we, I couldn't afford to inherit it. So uh, I had three siblings, couldn't afford to buy three quarters of it, couldn't afford to buy a quarter of it. Um, so we needed to look elsewhere. So we looked in Healdsburg, we looked in Santa Cruz Mountains, we looked in uh, Sierra Foothills and Livermore. And one of the things that um, jumped to the forefront about Livermore was the affordability, um, but also the community's commitment to the wine industry. Um, that means we can, we can still afford to be here because we're close enough to Silicon Valley and to, and to the Bay that if not for that effort, this would all be houses, right? Well, even we saw the traffic was still going into the bay when we were coming out. You got it. Yeah, this is this is the one of the heaviest uh, traveled corridors uh, in the state is is going from you know the Central Valley into the Bay Area. Um, so so that allowed uh, the wine industry to really flourish. And when I got here in '04, uh, there were tw we were winery number 24, and now there are 60. Oh, wow. That's right. Yeah, and I think around the, around 2000 there was 11 or 12 or 13 or something like that. So it's really seen this this renaissance. Um, okay, we got to take a look at this picture over here so you can visualize the old place. Um, so this picture here is the old is the old winery, and um, this is the ramp that my dad dug off the um, off the driveway. Knocked a hole in the foundation right there. Uh, that was uh, small enough such that 
about once a month, I, I'd come, be coming down the ramp and I'd hit my, <laughs> scrape my head on the top of that. Um, it, was, it was just over six feet. Um, and in fact, if you look closely at the doors now, those are the same doors mm. on the tasting room. Okay, yeah. I added uh, eight or ten inches of <laughs> <laughs> them so yeah. that they look like normal doors. It was like a <laughs> hobbit hole. Um, I'm kind of going all over the place, but but uh, I know you guys are tracking. So um, so this is uh, the old production facility. That's the old press. Uh, in 05, I ran 55 tons of grape th grapes through that, and that's loaded with a bucket by hand, and oh, it's emptied oh, with oh, a bucket. Oh, my goodness. So, so in 05, I compressed two discs, and that's when I had to change oh. the operation. So now that press is sitting out in front of the building mm -hmm. as decoration, mm -hmm. uh, but that's what we used from, from 76 through 05. Um, and then now, did your family have any formal training, and either everything was just... No, and I asked my dad about this. Uh, I was like, so um, in 75, he made 15 gallons of Chenin Blanc, which was completely undrinkable. Oh. His, his brother called it Urena Blanca. <laughs> <laughs> and with that experience under his belt, he quit his job, dug a hole in the house, started making wine. Oh my. And so I asked him, I was like, well, so were you or naive or what? He said, yeah, maybe a little both. But he said, he said, you know, he, um, he was a smart guy. He was like, I figured out. I could, I could figure it out. People were doing it, you know. In 76, there were no commercial uh, malolactic bacteria available. You were, you know, you were just, they, they were all getting together at Davis at the end of the harvest and saying, how'd you kill the bacteria? How'd you kill the bacteria? How'd you get it to survive, right? So, so it was really, uh, the industry was really young. There were 300 wineries in California. So, uh, so he didn't have enough knowledge, I guess, to know that it, it, it might be difficult. Um, so undaunted, he, he dug a hole in the house and started a winery. It's amazing. Um, the only other thing to note here is that that's an olive tree. It's not an oak tree. And I had an arborist tell me that that was undoubtedly planted by the missionaries because mm. olive trees were bought to California by mm. the missionaries. And he said that had to be 300 years old, which is when the olive trees were brought. Wow. Yeah, pretty cool. cool. Um, and then this is this is the the uh, uh, new facility that's here. This is uh, where the tasting room doors mm -hmm. are. Uh, that was just a breezeway when I bought it. And then this is where the lawn comes out. Mm. So um, <laughs> my brother, um, this that's you know how we started picking fruit. Um, so there you go. Uh, so. So back to how I got here, um, I could see that the, the dedication of the community and, and the effort that they wanted to you know, help the, the wine industry, and it was going to be a good place to, and affordable um, to expand the winery. And it also allowed my wife to stay working in Silicon Valley because I make wine and she makes money, so we couldn't go too far from <laughs> Silicon Valley. Um, and so um, what, I, what I discovered when I got here was the quality and the value of the grapes. Um, it's the most sort of overlooked appellation in California, in my opinion. Um, and it's got the longest um, history. Um, if you didn't know, Wendt is the longest um, continually operating family-owned winery in California. 1870-something um, or 1880-something. So, uh, when I got here, the, the, the business model was portable. I could truck the grapes from Santa Barbara here just as easily as uh, you know Palo Alto. So I intended to do that, and uh, I spent the first couple of years. Um, I knew I wanted to try Sauvignon Blanc. 
the valley because I tasted some good ones from Algren. And, uh, and so, so the first couple of years, I found a, a Sauvignon Blanc vineyard and I tried that and I made it alongside the Paso Robles fruit. And after a couple of years, um, I liked the Sauvignon Blanc out a little more better. Um, it was less expensive as fruit goes. Um, it was right next door. I could, I could monitor the vineyard. And uh, they would deliver the fruit. Instead of me getting up at 3 a.m. and going down to Pastor Robles for, for fruit, I'd have coffee with my wife and I'd show up and it'd be on the crush pad. <laughs> That's a no-brainer, right? Um, and so, so that really started my journey of, of sort of exploration of the valley. Um, and today we're 95% local fruit. Um, I make one wine that, that um, is not, it's... Um, Pinot Noir, and that comes from um, just north of the Appalachian. Uh, you guys all know where Berkeley is. Um, it's you know um, it's just that's just north of the Appalachian, and on the east side of the Berkeley Hills, right behind Berkeley, is uh, the La Mirinda Appalachian, which is really tiny. It was established maybe ten years ago, and it's got it's on the north end of our Appalachian, and it's um, opened up to the Delta influence, and so it's really actually pretty cool. Um, okay, so um, San Francisco Bay Chardonnay, um, I manage three vineyards here in the valley. Um, my estate vineyard, that's the Petite Syrah, which is organic, that's where there's a bunch of weeds. Um, and a four and a half acre Chardonnay vineyard, which is on the southwest corner of the valley, that's this one. Um, the reason I call it San Francisco Bay is because it's it's big enough that I've I've um, sell a bunch wholesale and my wholesale distributor said look you know San Francisco Bay is a lot sexier in San Francisco than Livermore Valley we're still fighting we're still fighting the name yeah it's total marketing um, so um, the you like that this is a California chart I totally get behind okay cool <laughs> this is beautiful thank you um, so I'm kind of all over the place. I hope it's okay. Yeah, I've, no, I've had ADD all my life, and and I just learned to live with it. I hope you, you know you guys yeah, suffer through it. Okay, great. so so Livermore Valley, um, as an appellation was established, um, I have no idea what year, but um, it was you know uh, Phil Wenty, um, who's part of the Wenty family, obviously established it, and and admits today that that if he were going to do it again, he would call it something else because. Livermore, Livermore is here at the east end of the valley, and um, it's a tri-valley. You go all the way up to the um, Sunol grade, um, down to the, the south end of the valley, and then up to Mount Diablo. And so it includes three, three separate valleys that if you were going to name it today, you'd call it something other than Livermore Valley. Mm. Um, so, so, that, so the Appalachian is actually a, a lot larger than just Livermore and, and, and the town. Um, any questions at this point? Do you guys want to tour the facility? Do you want to keep tasting wines? Do you? So how many, I'm interested, um, how many vines and varietals do you grow specifically here? So uh, the estate vineyard is Petite Syrah. And one of my signature wines is uh, my GPS. Mm. Um, so um, it's we're replanting right now, and if you look, if you look at the up second block, the farthest block, in between each vine, we've I've replanted um, bare rootstock, so you'll see that mm -hmm. on the way out. 
Um, and I'm replanting um, Syrah and Grenache on that block. And the reason is I did, when I was, after sort of falling in love with the fruit in the Appalachian, I said, okay, I want to create a wine that says Livermore Valley, that's, that is, you know, distinctly here. Um, and I wanted to pattern it after um, the Rhone blends, a GSM. Mm. Um, because I have Petite Syrah, I naturally wanted to use that. And so I took out the Morvedra, the M, and I put in the Petite Syrah, the P, nice. right? But then, and then instead of calling it GSP, I said, what's going to be my location wine? <laughs> I got to swap the letters around and call it GPS, it. right? <laughs> so, um, so, so this vineyard is, is um, Petite Syrah, and in a couple of years, it'll be the uh, Syrah and um, Grenache. And then uh, next door, I have a Syrah vineyard. And then that, that um, Chardonnay vineyard, which is in the southwest corner that I, I manage, um, I'm replanting part of that to Albarino and Muscat. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so that'll be in a couple of years. Nice. Uh, right now, I make a, a little bit of Muscat out of the Sierra Foothills, and I'd love to bring it all back here locally. So, mm. um, Incidentally, one of... I answered your question, right? Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> one of the things that, that surprised me was, the, was this vineyard, this Chardonnay vineyard. Um, I was making Chardonnay out of Santa Barbara and Healdsburg and three vineyards in Santa Cruz Mountains. And if you told me when I moved here in 04 that I'd be making Chardonnay out of Livermore, I would have laughed at you. <laughs> I had this sort of myopic view of, of the valley, that, uh, of the Appalachian, um, that I think uh, is common. And that is it's just too hot out here. Mm-hmm. Here's the reason. I think you get that. Have you guys heard that? Do you, do you have that impression at all, or is that just a Bay Area thing? It must be Bay Area. Bay Area. Okay, okay. So I don't have to. I don't have to convince you otherwise. Nope. But I will anyway. Okay. <laughs> so that uh, so that when you come across somebody from the Bay Area and they go, oh, "It's too hot out there," you'll know why it's not. Um, so uh, the reason it gets overlooked, I think one of the reasons that that Livermore Valley is overlooked is that. Um, Invariably, during the growing season, during the summer, um, the weatherman says, and the high today is Livermore Valley with 102. The high today, and we always get the high. Um, because we're, we're the hottest spot um, in the bay that's included in the weather report. Okay. Um, however, if you look at the growing season, um, and you take into account not just the high, but rather how long um, it stays at that high, and, and how quickly it cools off, etc. You'll quickly find that um, if in the morning, the afternoon, and the evening, you compare Livermore and Calistoga, um, you'll find that um, that Livermore is cooler than Calistoga, so northern Napa. Um, there's a reason that the hill, uh, the Altamont Pass is covered in windmills. It's because when the valley heats up, it pulls the air in through the Golden Gate and it comes whipping over the hills and through this valley. It's the most consistent wind source in the, in the bay. And so what that means for the growing area is that it cools off. We get the high, but then it cools off in the evening and we get that diurnal shift um, where the vines get to rest. What's so, the average on that, the diurnal shift? I have no idea. I can't tell you. <laughs> um, I'll bet Phil Wente could tell you because he's, he's been studying this stuff for decades. Um, but, but in the evening, if you then compare Calistoga and, and Livermore, it's dropped. We, we're below them, yeah, uh, because of that wind. And driving here, we didn't notice coming from the East Fog. 
So is that normal or is that just today? Uh, Valley Fog? Where yeah. were you? Where did you guys stay? We were in Fremont. Oh, okay. So the bay gets a marine layer um, that is really consistent throughout the summer. Um, and that's one of the reasons that the Santa Cruz Mountains is, is really cool. And that ridge, which is on the top above that marine layer, you know, grows great Cabernet. Um, but that, but that marine layer, when we do have a, a you know, a marine layer or some type of, of morning fog, um, it'll sort of burn off from the east towards the west. And so as a result, the east end gets a little more sun than the west end. Um, uh, uh, all right, what burning questions are on your mind? What is the meaning of life? <laughs> 42. Yes. Exactly. Thank you. For decades I said 47. And I always thought it was 47. You did? No. And then I'm, I'm here to tell you it's actually 42. Apparently. Uh, somebody corrected me just five years ago. And my kids are like, what? You're changing the meaning of life? <laughs> They're just old enough to be to be mad at me for changing that answer. What are some of your particular daily joys in running this winery? Great question. Um, I love having my hands in the dirt. Planting the vineyards over the last we've been replanting for the last two weeks has been fantastic. Um, harvest is wonderful, even though it's stressful and a lot of work. Um, and doing the blends, working on the blends. Mm. Um, this will be my 34th, 33rd vintage, 34th vintage. Oh, wow. um, and so um, uh, I re- I, you got to really focus on things that bring you joy. And, and growing the grapes um, and working on the blends are, are the most fun. Nice. So it sounds like you do love Petite Syrah. Is that your favorite varietal? Um, I'm, I'm super fond of Grenache. Um, and, uh, and the GPS is, is my favorite wine, I would say. Um, don't tell my wife because I make an Angelus cuvee that's, that's named after her. It's my rosé, my dry rosé. If, if, if you ask anybody and I, I'm talking to anybody, it's, that's my favorite wine. <laughs> don't print that by the way. Delete that. Um, um, actually, I can delete that. If you have some for us to try, I think I think it's sold out. No, I'm, it's, it's fine. I'm teasing. No, 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 I, I would love to share. Yeah. 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 Okay. I make two sparkling wines. Um, they are completely different. Um, this is the Angel. I call this the Angelus Angelus Cuvée d'Etoile. It's a little darker because it's got a little bit of GPS in there, but uh, no worries. Um, and actually, why don't we go take a look at the barrel room while you guys are tasting this? <laughs> is that all right? Dump everything. That's right. <laughs> um, Ooh, isn't that fun? Yeah, yeah. Come, come on in here. So um, I do have some stainless. This is a 2,000-gallon stainless tank, and most of the stainless I've got is is variable capacity. So um, I'm sure you guys are familiar. That's a lid that floats on the surface and then seals. So it can be 250 gallons, or it can be you know 1,000 gallons or 2,000 gallons, whatever you need. At, at my size, you know, flexibility is is critical. Um, I don't have the luxury of having you know equipment that'll fit at, you know each lot, so I've, I've got to make everything sort of um, useful for everything, right? 
Um, so uh, you can see uh, a lot of these tanks are, are the round uh, variable capacity. Um, that's the flexibility that, that I need. Um, and then I've got a couple bigger ones um, and, and a lot of really small tanks in the corner there. When I first got here, um, I was doing a lot of custom crush. Uh, backyard vineyard, I end up with a half ton of grapes. What do I do with them? I call around the valley to see who's going to make my wine for me. And there's a couple operations in the valley that do custom crush. I'm probably the biggest. Um, I've got 22 clients that are most of them a single barrel. And so I've got a, I've got a whole room full of little tiny tanks to, to accommodate that type of thing. Should we uh, do a single barrel, guys? Yeah, you guys, if you guys are in, yeah, I can do it. I can do it. <laughs> Just drive the U-Haul home. Just <laughs> How long does the fermentation range, depending on what you're making? Uh, it goes from uh, six days to 14, mm. something like that. Um, we're doing all of our red fermentations in half-ton bins. And so uh, that barrel room that we were just in, um, all, all those case goods would be out of there for, for September and October. And we stack those half ton bins in there. Mm. I can stack them six high and I can get uh, 48 uh, bins mm. in that area right there. And so in the morning we come in and we unstack everything, put it all, lay it all out, um, do our punch downs and temperatures and then restack it, put it all back in. And then in the afternoon we do it again. Wow. Um, wow. So, uh, so at McGrail, you're going to see um, a lot more space. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they've got a, a little bit of the luxury of having the space uh, to do, you know, it differently. Um, but I'm working with what I've got. So. <laughs> if I want just a plain glass of Merlot, I'm going to reach for the Wood family because that's just a, a voluptuous, really wonderful, you know, by itself Merlot. If I'm looking for a, you know, a Merlot to go with a hearty meal, I'm, I'm going to grab the McGrail Merlot because the, the Merlot Mark makes is, is fabulous. Um, and so each, I feel like each wine has its own situation and, and to say there's a winner and a loser is just a, it's just a terrible way to judge wines. So. But it's a good money maker. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, cl clearly, I, I, I yeah. for the competitions. What's for the competitions. Yeah. Oh yeah. Maker. Yeah. Exactly. I've, I've worked with several, and Todd and I have, have done some consulting, and it's it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I get it. I mean, I do. Um, I just hate. You know, I just hate it. <laughs> now, the Livermore winemaker, do you have a regular informal meeting where you guys will bring wines and say, "Hey, what do you guys? What would you do with this?" Or we do, yeah. Is that Tuesday. We've, yeah, we've got a, we've got a, um, uh, a, a, there's sort of this quality council that's that's come together around trying to raise the level in the valley of quality, and and there's a blind tastings. All the winemakers get together once a month um, and taste through, you know, like they gave them varietal or, or style of wine and. Uh, to work on, you know, collectively what we're putting out there. Mm. That is not the best Merlot in the Valley. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty damn good. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say thank you for not killing us with the, the German chocolate cake flavor. <laughs> so I guess mm -hmm. if, if I can be accused of having a style that's old world, um, I don't know whether you guys would agree, but um, yes, I try not to. Yeah. I try not to over oak stuff. It's more refined. Um, there was a good like, earthy have, vegetal I'm, structure to that, so it wasn't just yeah. a fruit jam bone. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks for noticing. Yeah. Um, fourteen point seven. That is really very, very yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was going to guess it was fourteen seven. Good. <laughs> good. Well. Um, I, I, I 
took a year and went to the University of um, Bordeaux in the south of France oh, wow. my junior year abroad. Um, that's where I fell in love with wine, and that's and I got I took an enology course, a year long enology course. Uh, I don't have a degree, but but that's what turned me on. And when I came back, I you know my parents had been running this winery, and I said you know maybe I am interested in this. Mm -hmm. And so uh, so that's when I joined the family winery. That's really cool. So so. I was heavily influenced by kind of the European um, flavor of, of, you know, take on wine. Uh, and in fact, we do a, um, in 08, 09, when the, when the economy crashed, the housing market, you know, froze up and everything was questionable. Um, I, I said, okay, it's time for me to, rather than, um, you know, try to make the, the best wine in the world, I need to still be standing when the dust settles, right? And so I said, okay, I'm, I'm gonna pull out, dust off all the ideas I've ever had. One of them was um, bring your own bottle and we'll fill it up with a blend, or you know, just a red blend. European style, right? Get, uh, fill it up with a table wine, right? No pretense, you know, let's just bring me, you know, some old bottle and I'll fill it up and you can, you can take it home. It doesn't break the bank and you enjoy it that week. So, um, so I sent out the email and I, and I said, you know, here's what, what I'm going to do. Um, rinse your bottle, bring it up. I said, at the time, the tasting room was, was in the barrel room there. Um, and so I, I, I picked a barrel that we were going to bottle. Um, I put in my, my topping gun, which is just a, you know, mm. it's, it's just a, this gun, right, with a trigger. And I, I um, gravity fed that. And then I had it in my hand corker. And when I opened, there was a line out the door. And I was so slammed busy, people jumped in and helped because I was filling one bottle at a time. And I ran out of wine and there were still 30 people in line. Oh, and so I'm like, there's something here. Yeah. I thought maybe a couple times a year. Um, we've been doing it every third Sunday of the month wow. since 09. What? And I've filled more, I calculated the other day, I think it's more than 70,000 bottles. Oh. I call it my BYOB. And guess what? It's a, it's a fantastic idea for several reasons. One is uh, my customers get a $10 bottle of wine, it's $9.99 uh, for table wine. Two is um, it's sustainable. And one thing I've always tried to focus on is sustainability. Vineyards are organic. I'm trying to take care of the environment. Um, and I'm, we're using fewer bottles. We're Because re recycling is good, reusing is better, right? Um, and then thirdly, um, when I've got, for example, I'm going to pour you guys the cab next. Um, when I've got 12 barrels of cab and one of them um, isn't quite as good as the others, uh, what do you do with it, mm. right? I can, quote unquote, declassify that, put it in my BYLB, and now I've got an outlet for everything. And that, awesome. that lifts the quality of all the other wines. Mm. How many bottles would you like? <laughs> we have so about 300 empty booze bottles, and we're going to have about 150-ish wine bottles by the end of tomorrow. If you'd like us to bring them, <laughs> that's amazing. I, I, my hats off to you guys because I can't even believe it. But uh, but actually, we go through enough here in the tasting room that we've got extra. Oh, nice. got, we've got plenty. So, but thank you. That's a nice offer. So, there's no uh, health regulations for bringing. At the county health hasn't come and said. Uh, in <laughs> in twelve years, nobody has uh, knocked on my door and said anything. I think what we're 
probably um, bumping up against the most is the labeling stuff. If anyone's going to have an issue, it's going to be the TTB. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've got a I've got a generic label that's BYOB that I put on there. I, I put it right on top of any other label, you know, be it uh, McGrail or Camus or whatever. And um, it's a legal label. I think technically I'm supposed to remove the old label. Yeah. Nobody said anything. It's it's not that bad. You've been doing it for what? You know, Back to years. Yeah. We'll, 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 yeah. we'll delete that part. Yeah, right. <laughs> but actually, that's my first exposure to the wine. We were on our honeymoon in Budapest, and every morning we'd go to a market, and there was a wine bar. Yep. And, I, and my wife would go like stock up on vegetables or fruits for the day, and I would get a glass and just watch these old people, women or men, come up with their empty two-liter bottles, or one-liter bottles, fill it up, and take it out. And every day, you saw the same people. Yeah. They would see me, and they would, I'd start talking. And right? That's exactly how it was. I mean, let's let's remove all let's remove all the pretense and all that stuff. It's just a glass of wine, yeah. right? I mean, what's most important is do you want to take another sip? Yeah. So, I'm all about it. And it, it, it makes me feel good on the sustainability side. It also provides me that outlet for wines that I don't want to put in you know the point. Yeah. So it, it's it's great all the way around. It also makes turns a Sunday from a thousand dollar day to a six thousand dollar day. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it turns a slow Sunday into a slamming Sunday. So it, it's just great all the way around. Plus, they may they come fill theirs, but then they may and they buy a bottle of this too, and when they add a, a narrator, and yeah, you get it. <laughs> okay, so again. Um, if if it's a, if I can mm-hmm. be accused, it's old world style. It's not that's not a you know one of those massive uh, massive caps. Now McGrail, uh, I don't make cab like McGrail does. He really does a good job. Um, uh, I um, so I know you guys were going to ask him about his oak program. Yeah. Uh, on my reds, with, with the exception of the Pinot, I'm exclusively American oak, mm-hmm. um, and um, I use primarily Canton. Um, and I use two, three, and four-year air drive, um, which which create real different um, flavor profiles. Um, but hopefully nothing is over-oaked. Um, I, I prefer it to be a backdrop than uh, you know, a, a main character. California uh, cab, that's not jet fuel. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Okay. It's a little bit backwards, but do you guys want to taste the Pinot? Yeah. yeah. Is that even a question? Yes. Why don't you try this? While you're getting through the next one, you've talked about being organic. What is the biggest vineyard pest that you have to deal with? Uh, mildew. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I don't have, and I've got ground squirrels, which are, I'm, oh. not, I'm like a trapper. Because <laughs> uh, I can't, you know, throw a poison in the ground nope. or you know any of that stuff. So, Not at all. Uh, yeah. So, um, so I spend a lot of time trying to trap squirrels, and and just managing the mildew is 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 what I deal with the most. How does one manage mildew? Uh, Stylet oil, which is which is basically mineral oil. It's an organic mineral oil. Um, the drawback is that I have to spray a lot more often than your, you know, traditional mm-hmm. milled sides. Um, where you can get, have a three week interval on some, I've got, I've got basically a weekly interval. I got to spray oh, wow. every single week, but it's, it's edible. I mean, I mean, it's, yeah. yeah. So it's a trade off. Um, the weeds obviously are, are difficult to manage. Like, you know, if you look at that vineyard, at the Concanon vineyard, 
you know, it's a dead zone underneath the yeah. vines. Mm -hmm. If you look at my vineyard, you put a shovel in my soil, uh, it's alive. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. And so I got to go through and hand cut the weeds. I've, I've got a, you know, a weed trimmer and a, a push weed trimmer and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I see you had some chickens out front. Do you utilize animals? Really yeah, yeah. So that's a, that's a chicken tractor, actually. It's a uh, mobile. What? I totally missed that. Yeah, <laughs> what? you can move it around. Yeah, it's a what? it's a mobile chicken coop, uh, <laughs> and if you look down the row, you'll see that it's really bare behind it because when you move it, that because they yeah. clean it and everything, it's not. It's it's. I should have moved it two weeks ago so that what's underneath the tractor is totally bare. That's I should have cool. moved it around the corner, but yeah, it goes. It moves down the row, and then they they fertilize and scratch and eat and weed, de weed and all that stuff. Oh, I love when wineries do practices like that. Just cultivating the whole organism of the vineyard. It's not taking just the whole picture into yeah. account. I completely agree. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, so this is a, a super interesting side project that you guys might uh, enjoy. I love interesting side projects. Yeah. Okay. So um, in 2015 or so, a group, a small group of winemakers said, you know, let, let's do something as a side project that, that brings us together. And we spent six months talking about what we wanted to do. Um, are you guys familiar with either the, the Coral Wine or the Livermore uh, Native Project? Either of those ones. So the Coral Wine is, is a Mendocino project that's Zinfandel based. Um, the, the, the Livermore Native project is also a Zinfandel project. They, they, they picked six vineyards, six winemakers, and they said they put the parameters are the vineyard has to be at least 40 years old. You can't use any commercial yeast. You can't use uh, a certain amount of new oak. Um, and so what they did was they did a study of old vine zin in Lodi. Mm -hmm. They took the winemaker out of it, right? What we decided to do, because for six months we tried to agree on a, a varietal, mm -hmm. <laughs> you get 12 winemakers in the room, you get 14 different opinions, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so we're like, you know what? What we really want to focus on is we want to focus on the, uh, the uh, friendships that, make, that, that we enjoy the most about the wine industry. That is the camaraderie um, and, you know, the, the working together um, and the, the creativity that we all sort of feed off each other. And so we said, okay, let's, let's do a wine that is interesting, unique, accessible to all the winemakers in the valley. Um, and that puts, rather than putting the winemaker in the background, puts a winemaker in the foreground. So what we ended up with was a blend of Merlot and Syrah. It's 30 to 40% Merlot, 30 to 40% Syrah, which means it's not more than 50% of anything, right? So you can't really call it a Merlot or a Syrah. Uh, it's totally unique, uh, not totally unique, but it's unique enough that, you know, you hardly ever hear of it. Both varietals are accessible to every winemaker in the valley. There's a lot of it planted. Um, and it, 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 so the thread that ties us all together is that framework. And then you taste the six wines. Uh, let me sh this right over here. So the thread that ties it all together is that we have this framework of Merlot and Syrah. Oh, and then, um, and then what we did was each winemaker put their own spin on it, right? And so, um, so for example, I am. Um, 
35% Syrah, 30% Merlot, 14 Petite, 7 Malbec, 6 Cab, 4 Barbera, 4 Cab Franc. Oh, love Barbera. super fun, right? And each winery is different. Um, the label reflects the project's focus. Um, this is a great vine, um, and these are the roots. You can see that we, we took the focus off the varietal or the scion, you know, what you grow here, right? It's not even on the label. Mm -hmm. What's on the label is the roots, and we felt like that's what pulled us all together, and that's what we really all care about. Um, and so we called it the Livermore Valley Vintners Collective. Um, it's morphing as of, you know, as time goes on. Um, there were some folks who were kind of really didn't want to do Merlot and Syrah, but they joined in anyway. Um, and so for the first few vintages, it's that framework. It's that Merlot-Syrah framework. And 2020, we changed it to be, in, in sort of reference to 2020, it's 20% of five different varietals. Oh, okay, that's that, that also allowed us to bring a couple other winemakers in because we're trying to get a lot of people to participate. And some folks didn't have, you know, Syrah or Merlot or whatever. And so we made it this other framework. And I think going forward, that this wine is going to, uh, that what's going to be really fun about it is that it's going to change every year, vintage mm -hmm. to vintage. Mm -hmm. so, so you'll get to see within some given framework what, you know, these different winemakers will make. Wow. So pretty fun. Yeah. This is really cool. That's a really great project. <sighs> and I hope the wine, uh, hope you oh, like the yeah. wine. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. One more thing you got to see in the barrel room. You, everyone just has to poke your head in. When I first moved here, um, I we we decided we were going to move here to Livermore Valley, and and we and we moved the winery to. I rented space from another winery, and then I looked for a piece of property. It took me a year to find this place, and when I got it, I had I had spent a year with no tasting room, uh, you know, no retail sales whatsoever. Um, and so I could, and I could see that I wanted this to be the tasting room, but as you saw in the pictures, it was just a breeze. Room, mm, right? yep. So I thought, okay, I can spend 30 grand in six months making this the tasting room, or I can spend, you know, three weekends and 1200 bucks on paint and I can make the end of the barrel room, the tasting room. So you got to, ah. you got to look at that. Yeah, I did see the, uh, <laughs> did you see the, the paint paints? with the, yeah. with the leaves. Yeah, right. So this was the piece that I hung from those bars up there. And so that was a curtain wall, you know, red velvet. And so people said it, it, it looked either like a, um, a brothel or or a whore, or not a whorehouse, but uh, that is a brothel. Or, or the, uh, what's the um, uh, Disneyland, like a, a house of horrors or something haunted like that. Mansion. Yeah, haunted, haunted mansion. mansion, yeah. And I said, well, you know. Sex sells. It always has, always will. So, um, so the, the counter was counter was down here, uh, and and obviously you know I was we were making eighteen hundred cases, not six thousand. So I had we had plenty of room, mm -hmm. um, and it was great for about seven years. The, the the main problems with it were the the counter was was eight foot. Uh, you add the computer and it was a six foot counter, and mm -hmm. and two people leaning on the counter, nobody else could get a glass of wine, yeah. right? And the secondly. 
during the summer it's 60 degrees right now you guys are dressed for 60 degrees yeah. but during the summer everyone's got you know dressed for 100 and so they'd come in here and get cold yes. so yeah so those are the problems <laughs> but then we expanded and we yeah, were seven able years to out of it. yeah we did yeah like with yeah. The, the floor you exactly you, you just yep <laughs> on the road to fancy on the road to fancy i love it it is a very cute tasting room lots of stuff to shop yeah right i'm loving the little air raider pours those are super so i'm i'm looking at your coffee here um custom coffee custom roasted for page mill winery by clayton coffee and tea are they local yeah, they're right on the other side of the hill. They're they're out uh, in the Central Valley. Clayton, so you, Clayton is over by Tracy. So do you get to go down and like pick your beans and tell them what you want? Or so my sales manager, uh, who's been with me for uh, ten years or so, uh, had a coffee shop for ten years or fifteen years or something like that. And so she has this connection, and she chooses all the coffees. Okay. Stuff, yeah. Well, it smells wonderful. I had yeah. to. Take a bag home. <laughs> do you just have coffee or do you have teas too? Just coffee. Just coffee. Yeah. Gotcha. They are obsessing over the wine pours. The selection I of wine see. pours is amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, Everything from the wines and the magnets. I meant to tell you about it. Ask if you guys wanted good coffee because um, the best espresso south of Seattle is a shop here in town. Oh yes, give me directions. You need we, it. We okay. Need okay. So, um, so the story goes like this: My brother, who's a doctor, who's total type A and does everything, you know, to the extreme, uh, did his residency in Seattle and spent a year trying to find the best coffee in Seattle. <laughs> he found this little place called Vivace, which is, you know, this home, this family-run place. They built their own machine, um, and for. for whatever reason they had the best espresso in seattle he de per my brother's determination so um fast forward 10 or 12 years and this little place here in town opens up this is six years ago or so and i went in i got a latte i'm like man that is good so i went back again the next day i was like holy cow this is great third day i took a sip i'm like okay i gotta know why is this so freaking good and he goes through his list of 15 marketing things you know we source locally we you know roast you know on time we mm -hmm. fresh da, 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 all the way down the line and the last thing he says is and this machine is made by my uncle who owns Vivace in Seattle <laughs> <laughs> and I, Small I call my brother and I go I got Vivace in Livermore <laughs> he was very upset <laughs> so Espresso Rosetta is, is the place to go for coffee it's right in downtown I'm making a demand for the trip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Espresso. Any coffee. laughs> if we have time. If we have time, we are making time, y'all. We're, we're making time. <laughs> Does anybody have any questions, or are we wrapping this up? Um, I think we're good. Are we? Yeah. One last. If you if you can guess, look in the future ten years from now. What do you think? Either what grape will be more prevalent than it is now, or any other. For Livermore Valley. For Livermore. Um, there is a real strong push to move towards Cab Franc mm -hmm. in the valley. Um, there's also a contingent who is pretty focused on the Rhone varietals. Um, personally, I prefer the Rhone, the Rhone direction, uh, but there are some pretty 
pretty uh, strong forces going towards Cab Franc. In 10 years, it wouldn't surprise me if we've built a reputation for Cab Franc. What about personally for Page Mill? What would you like to see or what changes would you like to see happen or expand? What sort of growth? I'd love to be the same size without any custom crush. Um, currently, I produce, I produce for other wineries. I produce for these small you know, backyard vineyards. Um, it's a little distracting. And, and the fact that I've, I've um, cut back on that has helped me focus on the page mill wines. I'd like to do that more mm. and, and get out of that business. On the other hand, I, you know, I'm, I'm just doing what I can to keep the doors open. Um, so, um, so I, I don't mind the size. I like being, you know, six thousand cases. Um, I'd like it to all be the Page Mill brand. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. very cool. I can appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> Wants to wrap up. Funny. Yes, it's hilarious. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. So, thank you, Ramblers, for joining us today um, out here at Page Mill Winery. We had a good time. We hope you did too. Make sure and follow us on all of our socials: Swig and Ramble on the Gram and Facebook. Make sure that you look up Page Mill Winery and go ahead and join us next time for those assholes who only want to win gold medals. <laughs> Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time. Download almost anywhere. Join our Facebook group and follow us at Swig and Ramble on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook and Twitter for more fermented fuckery. Cheers!